Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oslo. Oslo. Oslo Business Forum presented. I think, so if you have that entrepreneurial flair and have this ability to tell the story in Norway, you actually get recognition much earlier than you would if you were the same person in Germany or in America. Velkommen till Oslo Business Forum sin podcast De som bygger det nya Norge. Mitt namn är er Silvia Seres och jag ska intervjua norska näringslivshelter som har vist väg i den digitala transformationen. Hurdan fick de det till och vad kan vi lära av dem? Erik Langaker, uh, my long-term um, investor friend. Welcome to this Oslo Business Forum podcast series about the heroes that are building the new Norway. Thank you so much. You see, you're here because uh, I actually believe you're one of the unusually strategic investors we have in Norway. Uh, and I would love to hear your story uh, on Storm in particular, mm. where uh, Storm is one of the cases of incredibly interesting strategic pivoting and repositioning that is too little understood and told in this country. But before we talk about Storm, I would like to hear a little bit more about Eric. Can you tell our listeners who you are? So uh, I'm 54 years old. Um, uh, I was uh, part of founding uh, Delphi Economics that some will know when I was uh, 21 and left school to to really do that, I found a mentor, a Swedish investor, and um, these were early days. Uh, Dow Jones had touched thousand po- points seven times from 1965 to 1982, and then it broke through. And inflation adjusted was priced at 1934 prices. And for those with history, it looked going incredibly high. For those being young, it was like the beginning of something new. So, so, uh, and it coincided with the PC being invented. And, you know, I started doing some programming and um, was really allowed to start talking to some really prominent business people because I had a language that few other people had at the time. And that was anyway the beginning. And it was really the technology that drove me all the time. But somehow I was perceived to be a financial guy. But but underneath it's, it's always been technology and um, curiosity about that. That is that's fascinating me. You, you had uh, a period of a... A professional life in London and then you came back to Norway and in London it was mainly finance and then you came back to Norway and you started building your family office from that point on from scratch well this is true so in in short um, Norway felt very small we sold uh, Delphi um, 
co-founded an investment bank in London two years later, very tech-focused, built that, um, crashed into a wall, had to redefine my business career, uh, spent basically 15 years outside Norway, and uh, was throughout those years very fortunate to meet some fantastic people who became my mentors. Uh, always, I've always been looking for interesting people. Uh, and one of them was the, the Yedebo family, Mr. Jon Yedebo, with 50 patents to his name. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be allowed to be like a junior partner in, in co-founding the new high-tech, uh, if you want, which is, was it became a listed company. And today is headed up by Mr. Echtvog in high-tech vision, a private equity player. So, um, but 15 years outside Norway, wonderful wife, got typically blind date, met her blind date, proposed after three days, <laughs> three kids. Uh, they're just coming out of university these days. And, uh, and, and basically, as you say, back in 2000, we set up a, the mere beginning of a family office and has, has tried to build stone on stone since uh, by taking risk and working hard. So uh, we have been involved in three cases together uh, where you were um, relying actually on quite unusual board members, I would say, people that didn't have much finance background, but were hot on technology. One of them was me. Mm -hmm. And it was an incredibly interesting, again, learning experience. Uh, one of them was GeoKnowledge, a very successful um, uh, oil services related company based on very advanced uh, stuff from among antennae and mm -hmm. mathematical models. Yeah. Uh, the other one was uh, Camo, again, multivariant analysis, not a typical um, playground for, uh, again, uh, most investors. And the third one was uh, Kessler, a really, really interesting uh, um, serialization. Math, and all, math company math again. Math again. Yeah. And it all sounds very uh, math. And then still we're able to build amazingly good business mm -hmm. on top of this math. Uh, the company that I really want us to focus on in this podcast is Storm Gale. Mm. It is one of the examples I usually use when I talk about the unsung heroes of Norway. You know, we often look to Silicon Valley when we talk about disruption and exponential growth and the examples from there. And I think before we start celebrating our own success stories, we won't be able to understand really what's the next thing for Norway in this new digitally enabled game. Mm. And it's not all about digital platforms. It is very often about the digital touching the very physical or the natural resources. So Storm Gale for me is a beautiful example of, you know, something related to simply weather that pivoted into a very, very lucrative business into actually another vertical and industry, into energy. Can you tell us a little bit about Storm Gale? I think that um, from an investment point of view, if you are like a poor capitalist, uh, these days, you know, you have the massive players that build big funds and they need to put a lot of money into a case because they live on a small percentage of somebody else's money. But if you are your own investor and you come from a small base, uh, you really need to have a completely different approach. And so what you're really looking for are very capital intensive industries or value chains. And then you try to find that little piece in that value chain, which is the least capital intensive. And it tends to be where there are some sort of a um, 
inflection point in usage of new technology. So if you have that as a base for being an investor and you make a conscious decision to live in Norway, which is what I did, um, then the next thing you have to look for is where are we perceived to be champions in Norway? Because if you want to build something in a country with 5 million people and you're not even going to do consumer business but B2B, you want to make sure that when you make a product and sell it, you're perceived to be number one in the world. And to succeed with that, I think from Norway as a small place, you need two other drivers or win from behind. One being regulatory issues. You need a government because we have a government that drive things in Norway. And they tend to be that what is good for Norway will later be good for the rest of the world because we are early out quite often in a regulatory regime. Unresponsible yet ambitious. Absolutely. Mm. And, uh, and the other being, of course, there are some core industries uh, that Norway, for natural reasons, have succeeded in. So if you succeed as a small player there, you by nature also succeed in the world. Remember the regulatory aspect of this. So whether it really came about because I started PayX Group and became friends with TV2 and the media industry in Nordic uh, decided to use uh, PayX as a payment provider, also math. And they owned half, or they owned basically Storm Geo at the time, or Storm Weather Center, as it was called. This is uh, this is back in 2007. The company. So they started as a, as a as a what? As a little media service in TV two, or no, or? no. So basically, uh, when we got the TV channel number two in Norway, TV two, they also needed weather. And in Norway, we had uh, uh, Met.no, the National Institute of Meteorology. Uh, 84% of the world market for meteorology is driven by National Institute. Some would perceive that as a threat. To me, it was a fantastic opportunity because these, these meteorology companies, obviously populated by great smart people, all of them you know, having PhDs and whatever, but they were regulated to operate in the country because they're funded over the tax bill. So, whoever, so each country will build their own full stack of technologies and only serve a local market. Strange concept, but that's the, this is the way it is. So uh, Storm Weather Center at the time emerged because the embryonic uh, situation of TV2 was that they wanted to make weather into uh, something that everybody could relate to. It's one of the few things that you can produce every day when you do TV, and everybody has an interest, particularly in Norway, and particularly when you come from Bergen. So, so um, beyond the bag, who is maybe the one of the most under uh, or celebrated celebrated uh, entrepreneurs of Norway, he uh, was a, a co-founder of TV Two. Sadly, he went uh, passed away some years ago. But fantastic guy, and and he had this ability to to let other people shine and and you know grow in front of him. Um, and most people don't know of him. So he met Siri. Kalvik. Um, she at the time did um, uh, mathematics, so, so she's a very bright girl, and, um, but she was also had this incredible visibility, and she became Mrs. Weather in Norway. And she changed to meteorology, and some will know that she has later done her PhD as well. So she's an associate professor by now in uh, Stavanger. Uh, so a, a super important person in the inception of Storm. But remember, it's called Storm Weather Center at this time. All the business is basically coming out of TV2 because the Metno wouldn't give TV2 what they needed to begin have a more fresh 
approach to... We perceive them as a competitor, basically. In a way, I yeah. suppose. But they served an accord. Yeah. But And they, they didn't understand fully that they had to do things in a service approach, which was mm -hmm. needed in, in for TV2. So in, initially, um, TV2 paid well to Storm Weather for TV Weather. And... Uh, This coincided with another very important issue that there was actually a Norwegian guy called Mr. Bjertnes who uh, invented the logarithm for the hurricane. And for that reason, we have an institute in Bergen, uh, which is well known by every weather-loving nerds around the world. Um, because whereas we see weather as, you know, we, we don't leak and uh, we put on clothes when it's raining, And large, we need to know which color of swigs to use. <laughs> but, but there are large tracts of the world, obviously, weather is a, a major threat. Because mm. uh, hurricanes, they come and they come every year and they disrupt and they cause cars and kill people and whatever have you. So, um, so I think uh, in Norway, we don't really understand, maybe aside the fishing industry, how bad weather is. Or important. Important. 64% of uh, all business disruption calculated not by myself is caused by weather directly indirectly globally and globally and this is uh, munich rare uh, yeah. is supported by munich rare the big reinsurance company as an example so yeah so this is a this is a solid metric that says something about yes we have a major problem yes we have a regulatory situation that supports uh, innovation yes we have some industries that really need Uh, to safeguard uh, their position in harsh environmental uh, environment. And, and for this reason, so when I saw Storm, it was really very, very early days. And we'd started uh, to some extent supporting uh, the traditional energy business because we could say something about rainfall and how that would impact rivers generating electricity. That's like a trading market. And we were also supporting... Um, to some extent, the offshore industry uh, in um, in the North Sea. Uh, and this here, here comes uh, an interesting uh, fact, I think, which has been crucial for, for the success of, of Storm. So you may know that uh, Norwegian oil companies pay 78% tax, and most would find that to be uh, quite negative. But for Storm, this was fantastic, because it meant that whatever dollar we invested in making new products, in effect, for uh, our customers to start using them, the, the government picked up 78% of the tab. And, and that's a unique situation. So the combination of us bringing products to the market that the political environment saw would safeguard our uh, archipelago mm. uh, on the one side. On the other side, our customers, in effect, only paid just over 20% of the price because the taxman picked up the rest. That allowed for a much quicker um, adoption of new technology than you would normally find, I think, in any other industry. So that was really that's really the incredibly important positioning of Storm. This allowed also for the fact that um, we could charge good prices. So if you if you think of a commercialization three, so where do you want to start bringing a product to the market? Do you go to those that have very deep pockets and not willing to find a little dollar in there? Or do you go somewhere where you will lose your job and lose an opportunity to operate if you don't comply with the harshest of regulations? Obviously, the latter is the better. 
So uh, we, we went out and we said, well, we can provide weather analysis for a drilling rig. But really, what are they occupied with? I mean, they don't mind if they get rain. They don't mind if they get waves. But if there's a regulative scheme saying that if that wave goes over 12.7 meter, you're not allowed any longer uh, not allowed any longer to drop your lifeboats because they will crash towards the leg. Then it becomes, then you can monetize. You your license to operate, basically, yes. by non-compliance. So then you can monetize an analysis that will tell something about how this particular rig is moving in those waters. Right. Similarly, there are regulatory issues saying, for example, that if uh, the helideck of a drilling rig moves more than 1.6 meter vertical per second in daytime, you can't land. So if you can't land in helicopter, it hits your yield. Mm. If uh, the wave is over, again, 12 meter, you have to take back the gang bridge between the living quarters and the operational entity. Mm. So you can't change the crew. You can't operate. Mm. And all of this has to do with planning. So what we started working on was really to take weather technology and combine it with the unique asset of any drilling rig, making it into a visual picture that the master could watch when he was up at his bridge. And that would tell him with a certain probability what, how would changing weather impact his working environment and his regulative position and his ability to create profit. So basically you gave them, you know, a very, very tangible return on weather knowledge. Very tangible. Yeah. And I think then to go three steps back and say, so how was this possible with this, all these weather-loving nerds in, in storm? Mm. So when I was uh, fortunate to come in there, it turned out that TV2, they'd only asked for TV weather. Mm. But they had actually built the company and there was a lot of super talented people there. And they had all done their, their geophysics degrees. And they had been traveling around the world without really making much business out of it but trying to understand what was happening. So, so it was like an underdeveloped uh, playground for smart people. And they'd invested more than 20% annually in R&D without really taking it out the last 10%. So it was like a, was a lot of great stuff, but nobody had sat down and said, okay, let's do some metrics here. What can we sell at what price with which business model to monetize this? But Eric, somebody has to have this vision so did you come in with a vision? I mean, or, you know, did, because my, my uh, experience very often is that investors come in too late when somebody else has, you know, they expect the founders, the leadership team to come up with a complete vision. And I think both the boards and investors uh, underplay their strategic role here. So I, I'd like to, to get your, because I think you've been driving this vision several places. How does that work? What's the dynamics? I think maybe first, you know, you go up to Forskningsparken in Oslo and there's a lot of small companies in emergence there. I think most people uh, underestimate the time. So bear in mind that Storm had existed from 1998 to 2007, 2008 before I was allowed to. Uh, then I acquired half the company. Um, and, and those... Uh, 10 years it, that's that's the life of a lot of people so it's not like a test case for those really bright people working there they had actually put their whole career for, in their crucial years and given it to storm 
and produce something which at the time was not at all clear should be something international or anything like that. So I think this is this, this doesn't happen quickly. So there was a lot in the wall, see if I can put it like that. There was a culture in the wall saying that, you know, we are really great at what we're doing. There was a deep, deep mutual respect in the group. Um, uh, the leader at the time, she had um, she'd managed to nourish uh, a playground of talent where this primus inter pares, or among equals, there were obviously, obviously some people being the first among the equals, but somehow they had managed to live together under the same roof, uh, which I think is not so easy always. So it was like many companies within one, if I can put it this way. And, and obviously they needed somebody to say, we can do it. Uh, so I said to them at the time, I think we had a, a revenue at the time of 25, 27 million kroner and uh, 70% was uh, TV2. So I said to them, okay, guys, in five years, we're going to do 250 uh, revenue. And they had spent 10 years going from zero to 27. And they said that that's not possible because we can't do math. And our organic growth has to be so much to get to that number. And we don't have any money, really. I said, well, you know, I don't mind that. Just tell me how much, what, how much do you need to get to 250 million? Because I'll fix the money. And then we sat down and said, okay, which segments can we build business in? And then we looked at our market position in the, in the offshore sector. So we said, obviously, they are willing to buy Rolls Royce all the time. So let's build Rolls Royces or, you know, Mercedes, Shipping. whatever. And no, so we said to the really? we, we said that we're going to build the best products in the world in the offshore because they will pay the most. Okay. And then we said, and then we take that product and we slice it into segments and we'll start populating other industries that have a lower payment willingness but drive it into an international world. Because I've heard you say also that, you know, today... Uh, the data from StormGeo is necessary for the logistics planning in shipping. Yes. It's a crucial data set for the energy markets. Yes. Can you just say two, three simple kind yeah. of explanations for, for the different sectors that yeah. StormGeo is in? So, yep, so StormGeo, StormGeo obviously is, um, is, a, is, is a real big data player. Because meteorology is the most data intensive industry in the world. So we take down maybe four terabytes every day. And generally, it comes from two big government institutes. And we then model and work mathematics. This is weather data still. This is weather data. You have to think uh, uh, weather is about zero to nine days. That's forecasting zero to nine days. After nine days to 14 days becomes a mix of math and meteorology. Post 14 days, it's basically mathematics. Mm. And uh, to push one day meteorology, one day further ahead, probably take 10 more years. Mm-hmm. To, to put it in specific. So like Storm, we have maybe today um, 10 pentabyte of data and uh, and you can't work with 10 pentabyte. So you need the repositories and this is a, it's a complicated business. But the key issue is that whereas most companies, they drive business up through the silo from a machine that generates data and you want to get it on a screen and then manipulate it. We, we use data that comes from the sky and everybody uses the same data. So Storm has this ability to overnight deliver something unique to industries across very Based many on publicly available data in, rather indeed. than their own proprietary. Yes. So, the, 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 so it's really the, 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 the computing engine 
based on weather data, the modeling, the statistics, the understanding of shipping and energy. I'm trying to understand, you know, how do you build competitive advantage on something as public as weather data? So, so as, as going back to, to my, uh, my example with the offshore industry, or for that matter, we can talk about shipping. It's about taking unique user data from a heavy asset. It could be a rig, could be a ship, could be a windmill, could be a turbine, turbine system for uh, energy, for electricity. Uh, if we can improve the performance of that asset uh, by giving them better understanding of the environment in which they operate, that's money. And, and, and to do that, you, on one hand, have to, have to safeguard the, um, the risk so that by pushing more commercial aspects, you can never compromise on the risk. So you can't operate a rig at full scale when the waves are... Storm. Storm, you know. But if you know better, you can safeguard your position so that you have less downtime. You take the rig down when it's appropriate to do so and take it back up again. Or you can make sure that your helicopters are located in a particular way around the North Sea so you can reach the, the rig and the regulatory point time to revert and so forth. So, so for us, it was a matter of starting to really understand in deep how you operate in, in various industries, industries where Norway is perceived to be global champions, and then roll out uh, products, not technology any longer, but products, which is basically uh, an interface that shows a master of a ship or a rig or somebody operating um, in the traditional electricity market the information they need and guide them to make good decisions, qualified decisions, uh, because the amount of data becomes so big and it's so complex in nature that uh, nobody can really overlook it unless you uh, aggregate it and, and make it uh, a, a good tool for them, for the in effect. But, but Eric, one thing is the necessary, you know, quality of data so that you can make basic, you know, choices mm. in running your business. But the other thing is also you provide them with new tools, such as in the energy markets. I think you need new pricing tools, new energy derivatives, because the nature of the market is changing. Can you say a few words about the changing energy markets? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, to get into that, I think you have to understand that so storm obviously was great with weather, but there was no nothing there saying that we were good with shipping or with energy or with offshore. So so I think this is where it's becoming important to have an investor who is willing to scout out what the what the necessity is. And and in Storm we really looked around the world, we said that we need to go from becoming a weather company becoming a supply of risk reward systems or risk ability systems in these very capital intensive industries and we um, we really looked around the world we found one company in san francisco and we found one company in of all places in stockholm um not a big company been around typically also for 10 years uh, they had spent their 10 years understanding the dynamics of how a ship moves in water they were very good at that but they didn't really know much about how waves are made. But we knew a lot about waves. So we then basically acquired that company. I mean, it's a story to get to that. But we made them understand that together we could offer something even more interesting. We could monetize better. And we gave them a, a, a great home, if you want, these guys. We paid them 
partly in cash and partly in stock. So they became our true partners. So what you're saying is that sometimes you do need some inorganic growth think, in order uh, to add new capacity and maybe new identity. I think that, as I said, Storm spent 10 years becoming really great in weather. This company, Swedish company, spent 10 years becoming really great in uh, dynamics of uh, ships in water. Um, and uh, remember, we're up against the IBMs and SAPs and, you know, the GEs and the, the, the big guys. They've been around for 100 years. So I think sometimes you have to be a little bit agnostic and say, uh, you know, we can't be best in everything. Let's just find the best people in the world and combine them. Make them believe in the same story. Create an ideology and platform of mutuality where we share fair. And then uh, one plus one can become more than two. And I know that the, the, the world is, is you know, full of uh, good intentions that failed. But I also think that if you go into these companies that you look for all the time with respect, it is possible to do good M&A, as it's called. Not driven necessarily by the money side of things, but by a better understanding of the needs of the customer. Yeah, real product mix and and match. So so you know, uh, uh, Silvia, that I travel maybe 140 days a year. And and it's not because I'm good at technology, but I really love talking to customers. Mm. And I really do that all the time. And I think to revert to Siri Kalvik and her importance... uh, it's something about some people know something and some people are something. Some people know something, some people are something. So Siri, she has this star quality. So, so we could always get a meeting with the top management of Startup because they wanted to meet with Siri. She mm. was like a chieftain. And there is this Norse proverb set called Høvdinger råkast, or chieftain meets. Mm. And I think for, for a company that wants to get somewhere... You need to populate it with one or two that has this real chiefs. Yes, this ability to kind of just break through the glass ceiling and say, you know, I have no fear, and I'm 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 a story storyteller. I can actually mm-hmm. tell you what the world could potentially look like tomorrow because everybody's everybody's wondering about that. Nobody knows, and uh, and if you can do that in a somewhat uh, coherent way and back it up by the fact that, I mean, like in Storm case. We invested 30% of gross revenue in R&D every year, 10 years in a row. So we were out on a limb. Mm. You are respected then. So you meet the uh, top management of IBM, they respect but how that you Storm, do that. How is Storm seen then in the energy sector? Are you a player, a partner, a platform? What are you for them? Um, I think that we are... Uh, I mean, energy sector is a lot of things. So if we if we stay with uh, the offshore industry, then we are um, perceived as somebody who has uh, great respect for the environment in which they operate. Yeah. So they trust us. So they want to call us. So we can do everything dynamic and technical, but they actually want when the, when it's really rough out there, they want to be able to call and talk to Olav or to Marit. And say your what, data scientists, yeah, in the middle of the night. So we are there twenty four seven, and we focus on them, and we focus on their environment, and we understand what it's like. We are not procurement people, so we do a deal with the procurement people of Statoil. They have never been out there, mm. but when it really matters, 
they know they can call Olaf and he mm. knows exactly what it's about. And I think this combination of technology and human quality is really what mm. is, it has been the core of uh, so. So we are not fully automated. We are both. Eric, I want to go back to the partnership uh, kind of uh, landscape um, because you, you've also had deep partnership with companies like Veritas, mm. etc. Why was that useful? Again, I mean, you know, we were a tiny little offshoot coming out of Norway. Uh, Veritas has been around for 150 years, 300 offices. I have deep admiration for that company. To me, they uh, they, they represent um, integrity, true integrity in industries that are not always uh, full of integrity, to put it this way. And for us to be associated with them uh, flying out to Japan or flying out to Korea or flying to China meeting customers the fact that it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. DNVGL had sanctioned us as being good enough and even invested in us. We were the only company in which to, around the world where they had a minority stake. And we had co-branded some products That that gave me maybe two, three years of work in the marketplace. It meant that overnight, somebody sitting high in an organization in Japan could give me a contract and they would know that if something went wrong, they would never lose their job. Because after all, they decided to work with somebody who was approved by DNVGL. Obviously, that partnership came with a lot of responsibility too, because we were in a way allowed to ride the tails of DNV. And I think from an investment point of view, uh, this wasn't obvious for Storm to create that alliance. That is investor-driven. And it didn't happen by itself. I mean, I was I was all over the place, leveraging all contacts I could to try to make them feel that we were worthy of their respect. And, and we were sufficiently ahead of the curve in where we claimed to be the best that they could also learn from us. But Eric, there must be a mutuality exactly. in, in, in any and, alliance. And learning goes both ways. It does. And I think uh, going back to your investor role, um, one of the things I would like to see more of in this country are investors who are willing to take that risk based on long-term necessary risk, uh, urgency of the long-term, uh, based on you know the needs of the society, the opportunities in the business, the... The, the future of technology, all of these things mixed together, because I feel that too many of our investors are, you know, one-dimensionally financially driven, and they'll do their maths, but the problem is the maths isn't predictable. Uh, the world is changing so fast, technology is changing so fast, society has a certain set of needs that are under-evaluated at the moment, undervalued. So, so how, how, do you, how, how do we go about, um, is it possible even, or is it only possible when you play with your own money? You know, is it possible for people who have to show, you know, micromanaged returns on somebody else's investment to take the necessary risks to do these kind of investments? 
I mean, do we can we build more Wallenbergs in this country? I, I think few few decisions are binary in nature. More often than not, you know, you you make a decision, and next morning you're obviously free to make another one. And I think uh, there are um, there are two proverbs that, in a way, take the essence of this. One is is Mr. Rothschild, who everybody may know was a great investor uh, through generations. He was asked by this young uh, journalist. Uh, uh, so, Mr. Rothschild, uh, you know, you've done incredibly well, and 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 how 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 come? And he said, Well, uh, darling, you know, you you got to jump. And then she said, Well, I understand that, Mr. Rothschild, but how did you know when to jump? And he said, well, I'm jumping all the time. And I think it comes down to, you know, you really need the big engine and you really need to go out all the time. And then the other proverb, which is a Swedish one, says that in Swedish, möjligheten kommer som en snigel och försvinner som en blixt. Or opportunity comes like a snail and disappears like lightning. And more often than not, it's like this, half full, half empty. So most people, they just sit and they look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they believe that they're going to kind of hit the inflection point. But it's never like that. You just have to work it all the time. And sometimes one arrow you shot out come back again. And then you need to acknowledge and work it. And you it have becomes to maybe something. accept the rule that, you know, out of 10, 8 might fail. And that's a part of the game. I think we had a little discussion uh, in, in a board meeting, as you know, Sylvia, previously. And I think uh, I have three children and I don't use this for them, but... But we have this 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 word called um, brutal care, and I think in terms of investments, brutal care means that uh, it's so tough to make it out there that you you have to top the team all the time. Of course, acknowledge that a team consists of different competencies, but still you can't allow yourself to have somebody on the team that doesn't understand understand the ideology needed to to do it, and it means that uh, you know. Uh, holidays of course you want to have holidays but you can't have holidays with if something is to be done and then then you do that another time and there is nothing called office time because if you want like storm we were one office in bergen and two people in stavanger now we're 25 offices in 15 countries uh of course it doesn't happen by itself you have to be on that plane because those people if you want to start a little office so headquartered in bergen you want to start an office in Houston. So you find the best person you can to start up your Houston office. But the absolutely best person is probably overpaid sitting at top of a, a competitor there. So you want to find somebody with this particular skill set that thinks it's nice to be alone in an office, to sit by himself or herself and eat their lunch. And then you give them two more people. But still, when they look across the street in December and they see dancing people and you know cute girls and having uh, the christmas party and they are sitting there with their granula three individuals hacking their computer hoping to bring a new product to market in january you wonder you know why do they sit there and it, it's 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 the different skills well it is but it is but it's it they don't don't grow on trees it's it's hard to find them actually it's it's a lot of work to find them and i have yeah. to warn you you're in the glass cage now because yeah. uh <laughs> I've been talking a lot about the need to balance uh, work and life in certain life phases. And I actually think that's one of the advantages in Norway. But I think what you're saying at the same time is what this brutal love is very much about the level of ambition you have for your people. 
Indeed. You have to be super ambitious on their behalf and show them that you really expect it from them and then you help them somehow muddle through because it's all muddling through. And I think that's what we don't admit when we talk about success stories. Very often we say, you know, we were there and when we got here and look how magically wise we were, you know. But actually it's, as you say, jumping all the time, mm-hmm. learning all the time. Uh, and I've seen this, you know, with you in the companies where we work together. It's 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 about never lowering the ambition, but rather... For every learning, you up the ambition a little bit more. I, I think that uh, it's the right person at the right time. It doesn't mean that the person who you may have to move aside is, is of a lesser value. And like in Storm, there was a, a CEO uh, and she had done a fantastic job from inception until this point. Um, but I agreed with her that she wasn't maybe cut out for this international venture we were to start. We spent a year and a half preparing the company before we were kind of making the leap out of the the mountaintop. Because when you leap out, you, you told the story, you've taken in the money, you're investing the money, and then you have to fly until you land. So I was very fortunate to find that person in the company. He had a story, and, 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 and that's how uh, his name was Gant Zetner, as you know, uh, uh, Sylvia and and it was a great partnership and and he was always willing to pay what was necessary to create this was this this good feeling. You, you also had EQT, the big private equity company yeah. from Sweden, um, yeah. uh, come in as a, a majority owner. Yes, uh, was that why was that good? Why was that necessary? I think that. Uh, um, we spent one and a half year trying to become, or preparing to become an international company. Then we kind of took that as far as we could, became a global company. Uh, but to take it to the next stage, we had, we hoped that Storm Geo would be allowed to become one of those names that are high up on the in the cloud that we are not amalgamated or acquired mm. and mm. put down in a corner by the IBMs or something. We wanted Storm to survive. And we saw that uh, the Wallenberg tradition, which is embedded in everything that Equité does, was something we could strive for. What, they, what was that? I think it's, a, it's a, an incredible industrial approach, sometimes boring. I mean, to me, tedious even, if I be frank. There's an incredible methodology. It's easy to lose sight of uh, entrepreneurship. But when you are to supply, so say that we have 50 of Fortune 100 companies as customers. So you can sell something to them that costs $1,000 or you can sell them something that costs $10 million. And our job now is to send $10 million packages. To do that, for them to trust you that you are the core supplier at Seafloor for a company like GE or Carlyle or uh, JP Morgan or Facebook or, you know, for them to trust you to that extent when you're a small company coming out of Norway, they have to f- feel that you embody the same DNA that they have. They don't need to be that first. That you're grown up. You're yeah. playing with the big boys. Yeah. They, yeah. You're not priced for innovation any longer, necessarily, to the same extent. You're priced for some different qualities. Reliability. Yes. Yeah. They, they, and some more. But, yeah. and, and we needed to find that quality in ourselves. We need to build that quality in ourselves whilst at the same time, of course, not lose touch of this innovation and creativity and eagerness 
this this uh, sense of urgency all the time. And I think we hoped uh, that Ecutea would take that to us, help us build that. Um, I, for me, saw that uh, th- th- this could also be the end of my own tenure with the company. I'd then been, I had a time I had been chairman for eight years. Um, and now, two years later, I've just, as you know, stepped down from chairmanship. We got, brought in a new guy, Jonas Pearson. Great guy, PhD in physics, you know, a top management globally in Azure, the cloud platform of Microsoft. He brings a different perspective. I remain on the board. I'm allowed to use my voice to say what I think is important. But somehow we're shifting a little bit. And I think this is crucial that, you know, it's like kids. You have them for so many years and then they go on to do their own stuff by their own vocation and their own power. And uh, and I think that's the, an important, it's an important role to know when to go in, but as important to know when to go out. And Ecutea, in a way, um, is an anchor that allows a storm to, to, to mature and hopefully then survive. If I were had a dream to be a listed company as an exit for Ecutea, uh, the alternative would be to have been acquired by somebody and then be part of a larger entity. But storm could be one of those that are allowed to, in 50 years, there is still a storm geo out there. Mm. I, I, that would be a dream, really, you know. And actually, a, a, a crucial part of many different industries. That's that's what's really fascinating here for me. Indeed, indeed. Uh, that one finds new positions and um, does deliver with such pride. And, and I think to go back two steps again to say, how could it happen? Well, it was a funny combination of regulatory issues and the fact that Norway, of course, has this coastline that is unique. And a crucial part of it all that not to be written was that we acquired a company on the west coast of the US. Quite typical, Koreans, they were Koreans. Korea, obviously, is also a, 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 a miracle out of, of uh, after the war. And, um, and they had the same aspirations that Storm did, but one of the core founders there got cancer. And I knew them since a long time. Um, and they called and they said, uh, you know, Eric, we think that you guys will respect the working environment that has been core to us, which is for Koreans, crucial. It's lifelong. And so we were allowed to buy that company in the trust that we would look after it. Mm. And those two together is really maybe big enough to survive. But each of them would not have been. Mm. So so I think there are always a lot of, uh, you know, uh, luck involved but also, you know, the willingness to jump on that plane or have been there so many times, build personal relationships. It's about relationships. people, as you say, it is and about relationships yeah. as well. Yeah. Listen, um, I, you know, we a million other things I'd like to touch, but three things I'd really like to go quickly yeah. through, and we're coming close to the end of our allotted time. One is, can you say the first thing that comes to your mind when it comes to Norwegian advantages over you know, these international hubs like London and Silicon Valley, because often I think we try to copy rather than to play on our unique strengths. What do you think is our unique strength? Um, I mean, we have some clusters of uh, technology knowledge in Norway because we've had some great successes coming out of Antenu, coming out of, uh, you know, the cancer cluster in Oslo. And I think if you're young and you have true ambition and willingness to, you know, to put in what is necessary... 
it's stupid to start with something where Norway has nothing, no history, because much easier to do more of something good already and get recognition. Because I think when you're only 5 million people, you got to leap hard early because there's no market close by. And to do that, we obviously need early uh, identification of winners because we know we need early to dare bet on something. Um, and, and that I, courage comes from past experience. I mean, we were Vikings. In, it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a well-used slogan. But I think as, as an entrepreneur myself, 21 years old, uh, somebody was willing to put money on my name, trusting that I had the engine to run with it at the time. And I think so. if you have that entrepreneurial flair and have, the, have this ability to tell the story in Norway, you actually get recognition much earlier than you would if you were the same person in Germany or in America, because it's populated differently. Mm. So, yes, there are some disadvantages, far away and all of that. But if you are seen, you can do nearly anything. I think mm. that is, is a fantastic opportunity, being Norwegian in Norway, actually. Yeah. Or being a foreigner in Norway, for that As matter. you are, even better, <laughs> absolutely. But you are you're becoming Norwegian as well. So, Very so, much yeah. so, yeah. Um, if listen, that was an answer to your question. Thank you. Um, That is an inspiring answer. The, the, the second last question is, uh, we're trying to mediate here between technologists, investors, entrepreneurs, and politicians. So, you know, I think we talk different languages, and sometimes uh, what we talk about doesn't get easily translated into the language of politics. If you try to do that, one or two most important points that you have that relate to politics, if we, you know, talk beyond Uh, you know, taxation of options or, or something like that. Beyond that? Beyond that. Okay. <laughs> that needs to be improved. But anyway, <laughs> uh, beyond that, um, I think inadvertently by, by putting goalposts high up as regulators, uh, the, the government uh, enable us to be best in class And to drive products internationally. And uh, an example, I mean, you know, uh, PayX, we were the first to do uh, mobile banking, for example. And that this was possible because we had uh, a bank in Betaling Central, the, the central office for payments in Norway, which was a unified structure owned by all the banks. So, so this was an industry driven by regulation, not by innovation. And as an entrepreneur, to then start building a platform on top of a regulatory regime, which is driven by Europe. This was fantastic. You will know that the first mobile phone was also invented in Norway. It was because we had the, the, the general um, um, commissioner for uh, Telco in Norway. He was sitting in European associations and he saw something coming. He came back and he told us about that. And it was a regulatory regime that then pointed towards innovation. So I think that in this in this combination of regulatory and innovation, there are great opportunities. So from, and that often means in the B 2 B world. So business to business is 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 more natural. I think if the third maybe is to say if you have a the traditional linear uh, model, you go out and you find a new customer, you try to satisfy them, and then two new customers satisfy them, and so forth. Obviously, becoming it, it, it was very valid uh, historically, but now you need to grow faster. And, and, and you can't do that with, with only 5 million people. 
So then you have to make acquisitions because you have to buy footholds in new markets to, that you can explore. And typically, you want to buy companies that have old technology but a lot of customers, and you want to take you, your superior technology and enforce and push that into those markets and win by in win by adoption of technology. So anything that can help companies out of Norway get this this foothold could be tax regulatory regimes things that can make that happen. I think like we have Export Credit for example, mm. those type of institutions really great. And 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 and, and competencies are needed to do this because it's it's not blind. I mean, it takes. In, I'm chairman of uh, Data Response, as you know, listed company. We make acquisitions as well. We're listed, so be careful what I say. But, but it's not like we buy a company because we found that company. We looked at twenty. We monitored them for years, mm. and we decided on two, went deep with them, and then we acquired one, maybe. So it's a, it's a lot of work, and it's a little bit like the duck. You know, everybody, you just eat a duck on top of the water, and you're paddling like crazy underneath but as a listed company for example we can never talk what actually goes into it yeah so there's a lot of uh, research for every deal that happens Kenneth and Rune who runs that company I mean great managers you know so yeah last question Eric Um, I usually ask people for their you know three best pieces of advice in this case I'd like to ask you for advice to other investors well I mean I think the key thing is to keep money very close to your heart. I mean, investment is about making profit. So I think about that all the time, uh, but not necessarily all the days. I mean, I don't need profit every day. I'm happy to lose money to gain money later. And I think that's the second advice. So one is there's no free money on the street. You know, you work bloody hard if you want to make profit as an investor. I don't invest in listed companies. I invest in companies that are smaller, closer to me. I can use my network. Uh, it's regulated differently. And you actually can talk to customers and they will tell you what they like and not like. And mm-hmm. I think ultimately it's about that. So as an investor, it's, it's really being close. I would, if I was a normal in, investor, I would find two or three companies, learn everything I could about them, go to trade shows. I mean, you think that you work a full year and you make maybe 700,000 salary. And then you inherit a house from a granny or something mm-hmm. like that. You start investing that. And you think it's something you can do on a Friday afternoon. It's not. Because mm. if you want to have, say, 20% return out of 2 million kroner, think about how much time you worked to make the same. Over As time. As you say, there's no free money. It's so. absolutely no free. It's super complicated. And uh, most of those that manage money for you, look how much they've done for themselves. Mm. Are they wealthy or not? And generally, I tell you, they are not. They make a killing out of your money. So, mm. so, I mean, all these funds and things, I think it's a big hoax. Mm. Much better buy an index. There are no costs associated. You can sell it when you want or do the opposite. You know, concentrate on two or three companies, learn those industries, Understand read those magazines. Value creation Absolutely. And, and drive that. Value creation is a core. Mm. Uh, yeah, sure. Eric, um, Sorry, I'm writing your advice. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Um, I, I really have enjoyed uh, watching you help build these companies. And I think the, the description of um, tough love that you actually have uh, given us in terms of very high ambition, 
um, sometimes people need that, actually. They need somebody who believes in them more than they believe themselves, and then they find the inner hero. And I think we need to do more of that. We also need to be much better at telling their stories, because uh, stories like Storm Geo are a part of building our uh, collective identity in this new Norway, this new digital mm. world order. And the better we understand them, I think the better we can copy them. And so these are stories worth not only telling, but worth copying. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and taking the time to be in this podcast. Thank you, Jose. Thank you. Tusen takk for at du lyttet til Oslo Business Forum sin podcast, De som bygger det nye Norge. Hvis du likte det du hørte, følg oss og gi oss en tilbakemelding på iTunes. Det hadde vi satt stor pris på. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.